The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, children, you can be dismissed to my left and right out the door here to the children's church. A good time in God's Word and singing uh, there in the children's worship center. And uh, there's a note sheet that's provided for you as you turn to Matthew 1. We'll pick up reading in verse 18. God's Word is inerrant and fallible. It's the truth that is now read in your hearing. Matthew 1 and verse 18. I want to emphasize a couple of pass, a couple of phrases from this text this morning. You'll see them as we get to them. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child with the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So can you, can you, can you migrate with me back to about six months ago? Our conversations were on the wonderful presentation that you heard last Sunday night. Now, folks, listen, I'm not this is no guilt trip. This is just pure pity. If you did not come last Sunday night, consider yourself poverty stricken. What a glorious. It took me to Tuesday to get my breath back. There were times in the presentation last Sunday night. I was so grateful I did not have to get up and talk uh, next because it, I was just so overwhelmed uh, with the majesty and the glory and the love of God in Christ as the choir and the 
and the orchestra and the dramatists did their presentation. And I thank the Lord for that. And I thank the Lord for how it came. So as we were thinking about how the music and the instruments and the, and the live portraits would be portrayed, it was that that the Lord led me to kind of walk through the nativity. Those who would attend the birth of Christ and present them to you with some biblical sketches, biblical portraits of their lives. So we looked at the angels and we went to couplets as we looked at uh, front and center. And, and when, when you stop and think, who is attending the birth of Christ? And what are your powers of observation tell you? Well, pretty quickly say, well, angels. You've got Gabriel. You've got an angel from the Lord. You've got Gabriel. You've got the host of the uh, angelic majesty. And then front and center, you've got Mary and Joseph. And then you've got shepherds from the fields. You've got wise men that eventually get there from the east. And so we've covered them. First Sunday, angels of Advent. Second Sunday, Mary and Joseph. Last Lord's Day, shepherds of the field, wise men of the east. You got two that are eventually going to be touched by the birth of Jesus, Simeon and Anna. We'll take a look at them on Christ Sunday, next Sunday. And of course, you got Jesus. We'll take a look at him Christmas Eve, Emmanuel. But this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Who? What are the, what's the other couplet? Our powers of observations quickly see angels and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men, Simeon, Anna. But perhaps the most important couplet, the most important attendees, and like the rest become attendants to the birth of Christ, is not quite so apparent, but the most important of all. And that's the word of God at the birth of Jesus and the spirit of God at the birth of Jesus. The word of God and the spirit of God at the birth of our Savior. Now, why the word of God? Why, why would I say that? Maybe most neglected, but most important. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Why would I say the Word of God? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one is this. Nobody would come to the birth of Jesus unless the Word of God had brought them. Nobody gets to that nativity. Nobody gets to Jesus at his birth without the Word of God getting to them first. Mary, visited by an angel with the Word of God. Joseph, visited by an angel with the Word of God. Shepherds in the field, visited by an angel and then a host of angels with the declaration, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Born unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here is the word of God that goes to the shepherds, that goes to Mary, that goes to Joseph. Here is the word of God that goes all the way to the east. 
As Numbers 24:17 brings wise men all the way to Jerusalem. And then the word of God by Herod's counselors is given to them. You need to keep going to Bethlehem. And there they found him. Nobody gets to this birth of Jesus without the word of God first getting to them. And bringing them there. Secondly, nobody will know the significance of the birth of Jesus. Nobody knows what the significance of the birth of Jesus is without the word of God revealing it to them. What am I looking at? A baby in a cattle trough wrapped in swaddling cloths here in this stall with no room in the upper room of the guest house. What am I looking at? Nobody would know. There wasn't a neon sign here. You would not know the significance that there is born to us the Savior, who is Christ, the King. This is the King who has come to die to save his people from their sins. Nobody would know that that birth is headed for a cross. My goodness, what wood was around that stall that is becomes a statement of wood that would be framed into a cross that that baby would go and take hold of to save us from our sins, becoming our offering for our sins, of all of our sins, of all of his people for all of eternity. Nobody would know that without the word of God. Without the word of God, you'd never go to it. Without the word of God, you would not know what's happening there. And the amazing thing is the word of God had been telling you of this birth and what the one born was going to do for hundreds of years. As we say each year in the Advent lighting on the prophecy candle. There are 60 plus specific promises, I'm sorry, 60 plus specific prophecies that are fulfilled from the Old Testament in the life and ministry of Christ. I'm not talking about types. I'm not talking about symbols. I'm not talking about narrative anticipations of Christ in the Old Testament. I'm talking about specific prophecies. There are 60 plus all fulfilled in Christ. There are 20 prophecies in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew and Luke that are affirmed. Matthew in particular is fascinated by the fulfillment of prophecies as he articulates one after another after another. Can you bring it? Can you? I know, I know it's raining. We don't tend to think well when it's raining. Can you think with me just for a moment? This won't, this won't take long. Think with me. Not only are there 20 prophecies, 18 of them, now think with me, listen carefully, 18 of those prophecies, I'm sorry, 12 of those prophecies, 12 of those prophecies come from the Old Testament. Eight 
prophecies are actually given in Luke 1, 2, Matthew 1 and 2 that are fulfilled in Luke and Matthew 1 and 2. Now, let me say it again. 20 prophecies. 12 of them come from the Old Testament and are affirmed in Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2. But eight prophetic statements are actually given in the context of Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Eight prophetic words from the Lord. And they're all fulfilled in Christ. Can I just stop here? Just stop right here. I, I really ought to wait till the end to do this, but I just can't. God's word is true, folks. It will all be fulfilled. Every word of God is given by God, is inspired, inerrant, infallible. God's word is unbreakable. Not one jot or tittle shall pass away until all is fulfilled. It is true. God's word doesn't contain truth. God's word doesn't magically become truth. God's word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Not only are 12 Old Testament prophecies and eight gospel prophetic words all fulfilled right here in this around the birth of Jesus. There are other words. Jesus said this. Verily, verily. Amen. Amen. He who believes in me has eternal life. That's the truth. Do you believe in it? The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the truth. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. That's the truth. And the Bible says your only hope in that day is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's the truth. God's word stands fulfilled in his first advent and what has yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled by his second advent. Was here you 12 of them? Yeah, no, don't try to write them down. Uh, go, there's this magical thing these days called digital recording that goes up in a cloud and somehow appears on our website. So just go see it there. But let me give them to you. I mean, if you can keep up with them, that's fine, but. I mean, what are we told in these passages of Luke 1 and 2? And if you don't mind, I'm not going to each one of them, but I am going to quote them for you. What are we told? We're told that the virgin shall give birth. Isaiah 7:14 is fulfilled. That's what he tells Joseph. That what the prophet has said is fulfilled. What Mary has within her, it has been conceived of the Holy Spirit and given to her. She is the virgin birth is fulfilled. That is the virgin shall conceive and a virgin shall give birth. And Joseph, you're taught, you're called to participate in that. You are the divinely adopted father. She is the divinely appointed mother. And you're going to fulfill because there are four steps to a marriage. Consent, commitment, uh, ceremony, consummation. They had already gone from consent and commitment. They were betrothed. 
they had not arrived at ceremony and consummation. But now he finds out with she's, she's with child. And he says, don't fear. Don't fear. I know what you're thinking. Either somebody's done something to her against her will or she's been immoral. And now he says, therefore, being just, I've got to divorce her. But loving her, I'm going to take the route of a couple of witnesses and do it privately. Don't fear. Go ahead and take her. She is faithful. She has been chosen of God to bring forth this child. The one that is within her is the gift of the Spirit of God who has brought forth this child. So you now take her and keep her a virgin. In other words, come back to my four C's. Consent, commitment, uh, ceremony, consummation. You go ahead, ceremony. That's fine. You bring her in. You take care of her. But you cannot consummate the marriage. Until she gives birth. And so Joseph did. So here's the fulfillment. Here's the fulfillment of the promised virgin birth, Isaiah 7. His name shall be Emmanuel. Here it is prophesied in Isaiah. It is fulfilled as his name is Emmanuel. Here he is called, we are, it is prophesied that the Messiah would be of the seed of Abraham, that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, that the Messiah would be of the, would be a son of David. He would be of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah, and the son of David. And you've got a genealogy, Matthew chapter one, another one in Luke chapter three, the Joseph genealogy, the, the adopted father, Matthew one. Uh, Mary's genealogy, the appointed mother, Luke chapter three. And what does the, what do those two genealogists tell us? That Jesus is coming from Mary and Joseph and they are of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah and the sons and daughters of David. So he is virgin born. He is Emmanuel. He is of the seed of Abraham. He is of the tribe of Judah. He is of the son of David. He will be born, Micah tells us, in Bethlehem, David's royal city, as the wise men are informed. And they will go into Egypt. And now will be the fulfillment of the prophecy, the prophecy that... From Jeremiah that the one, the deliverer, shall come out of Egypt. Just as the people of God were brought out of Egypt in the Exodus, the Redeemer will be brought out of Egypt. And so Mary and Joseph will go down into Egypt and come back to Nazareth. So do you see it? Virgin birth. His name is Emmanuel, seed of Abraham, tribe of Judah, son of David, born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt, would be raised. He would be called a Nazarene. He would be raised in Nazareth, Nazareth. Then the genocide of Herod, which had been revealed in the book of Hosea. Lo, hear the weeping out of Ramah. There is the genocide of Herod that is prophesied in the scripture. Number 10, the glory of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The prophecy of the Messiah in Psalm 148. And where did we begin? We began with the declaration to Zechariah by the angel. 
that he and his wife, who were barren in old age, had been selected by the sovereign hand of God for the supernatural intervention of giving birth. And they would give birth to John the Baptist, who was the fulfillment of the prophecy to Malachi that before the Messiah, that Elijah would come. And John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then Numbers twenty four seventeen that his star would rise. And so his star is risen and leads the wise men to him. Twelve prophecies distinctly identified and fulfilled. The word of God in the Old Testament is true. And it points to Jesus. But even in the giving of this, prophecies are made, aren't they? Y'all pardon me, please. <laughs> I love poinsettias. <laughs> But they don't love me. So you not only have 12 Old Testament prophecies identified in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, but then you have prophecies to those who are being used to fulfill those prophecies. Zechariah has a prophetic word given to him. You are barren. You and your wife are barren, but you will bear a child. And six months before the birth of Jesus, they give birth to John the Baptist. And they are instructed. So Zechariah's, the word to Zechariah is fulfilled. The word to Elizabeth that you will bear a child, that is fulfilled. The word to Joseph that his wife is with child of the Holy Spirit, that is fulfilled. The word to Mary, remember what Mary said? How can this be since I have not known a man? And he said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, the power of the Most High, and that one will be holy that you bring forth the Son of God. And what does she say? She said, be it done to me according to your word. According to to your word. So the prophecy to Zechariah of John the Baptist is fulfilled. Elizabeth, her pregnancy, the delivery of John the Baptist is fulfilled. The filling of John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. The uh, the, prophe the prophecy to Joseph concerning Mary is fulfilled. The prophecy to Mary is fulfilled. The shepherds are told, go into Bethlehem and you will see the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. And they made haste and they went. And that word was fulfilled as they saw Jesus there in the manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, just as it had been told them. That was fulfilled. John the Baptist is converted in the womb, even as the scriptures prophesied. Wise men were told they would find the baby in Bethlehem. And that was fulfilled. And Simeon was told, you will not taste death until you have seen the glory of Israel. And that was fulfilled. God's word's true. Let every man be a liar. God's word stands fulfilled. But not only is there God's word permeating and penetrating all who are brought to that nativity that we have been looking at, but also the presence of the spirit of God. Would you take your Bibles and look with me in Luke chapter one? 
Now, I am only going to use a couple just to try to get the point across to you. This we could be here for a while, but I'm not. Just let me read a few select texts. Look in Luke chapter one. Remember the word that goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's what they are told in Luke chapter one and concerning the birth of John the Baptist. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his, that is John the Baptist's birth, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with who? Holy Spirit. Even when? From his mother's womb. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Take your Bibles and go with me to Luke chapter 1, over to verse 30, 34. Here, the, fourth, the prophecy of the birth of, of Jesus to Mary. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. She also will be filled with the Spirit of God. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Miraculous work is going to be done. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then uh, slip down to verse, um, go down to verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Then go over with me to verse, uh, I'll tell you, just, I'm just going to have to do some editing. Go to chapter 1 and verse 60, uh, 63. Well, I'll tell you, just go down to verse 64. And immediately his mouth, that's Zechariah, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened. And he spoke, blessing God, and fear came all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country. I'm sorry, not, I'm back up, I'm, I'm Back up. Uh, no, I'm right. What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now the next verse, 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. And then one more. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, folks, do you see this? You see these coming to the nativity because the word of God brought them. The word of God instructed them, inspired them when they attended and then sent them out. And they were sent and they were brought by the spirit of God and they were brought through the word of God by the spirit of God. 
Zechariah filled with the spirit, Elizabeth filled with the spirit, John the Baptist in his mother's womb filled with the spirit, Joseph filled with the spirit, Mary filled with the spirit, shepherds led by the spirit, Simeon filled with the spirit. Do you see how the Bible continues to affirm itself? The Spirit of God works with the Word of God. Those are the means by which God works. God works in this world to the preeminence of Christ by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. With the Word of God by the Spirit of God. Inseparable. Twined together. The Word of God with the Spirit of God is what brings us to the Son of God. That's how God works. Those are His two agents and means of grace that we might know Christ and His glory. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. That Spirit of God wouldn't stop just there, would He? The Spirit of God who would be there in the Nativity at the birth of Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God was upon him in his childhood. The Spirit, by the Spirit of God, he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Then, when he begins his public ministry at age 30, with the required act of baptism, he is baptized, and the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And he pours forth the Spirit of God like a dove upon him, and he is baptized with the Spirit of God into his public ministry. And the first thing the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness and is there with him as he endures the temptations of 40 days and 40 nights. And then when he returns, the Bible tells us the Spirit of God led him up into the Galilee and he began to teach in all the cities by the Spirit of God. And then Hebrews and Romans tell us that the Spirit of God led him, compelled him, is the language of Scripture, to the cross to die for our sins. And then the Spirit of God brought him up out of the grave and emptied the tomb. And then the Spirit of God in all of the Shekinah glory, the clouds of glory, received him back from the Mount of Olives at the Ascension. The Spirit of God at work upon the Son of God. From the Nativity throughout his life, death, resurrection, and Ascension. And it is that Spirit that he sends to you and to me. The same spirit that was with him from the womb to the tomb and back to the throne, from the throne, is sent to you and is with you from the moment you've been born again until the moment he brings you home to be with him. That spirit of God with the word of God. It is the Spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. So here's the takeaway I would give you. These are pretty obvious, but let me give them to you anyway. Here's the first one. The Word of God and the Spirit of God, there's some clear biblical lessons for us. 
Here's the first one. No one, not just the nativity, no one comes to the Son of God at all. No one comes to the Son of God without the Word of God first coming to them. No one comes to the Son of God without the Word of God first coming to them. Now, let me be, let me be abundantly clear. There are many whom the Word of God has come, to whom the Word of God has come, that have not come to the Son of God. The Word of God can come to you and you not go to the Son of God. In fact, in a gathering this size, in a season like this, it would not surprise me at all that there aren't a significant number who are here today and you've heard the Word of God sung, preached, and declared. And it wasn't just this Sunday you've heard it. But you haven't surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior. You haven't confessed, I'm a sinner, I need you, Jesus, as my Savior. No one can come to the Son of God without the Word of God, but there are those that have come to the Word of God, but haven't come to the Son of God. So what's the difference? Let me give you the second takeaway. Here's the difference. Those who do come to the Son of God, when they hear the Word of God, are those who are brought by the power of the Spirit of God. So today, if the Word of God came to you, please listen to me. We, we ought to be the most humble people in the world. The only reason you're saved today is because somebody brought the Word of God to you. Praise God. And the only reason you heard the word of God and went to the Son of God instead of not going to the Son of God, the reason you went to the Son of God is because the Spirit of God brought you. Praise His name forever. There are no room, there is no room for the religious arrogant and the self-righteous. We are what we are by the grace of God. The word of God came to us and the Spirit of God brought us with that word to Jesus. And that's how we came to him. Let me try to sum it up with this third one. The saving power of the word of God through the spirit of God that brought you to Jesus is because of the grace of God. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't merit it. You didn't merit it. None of us merited it. None of us deserved it. In fact, none of us wanted it. But praise God, if I could quote Vance Havner, God changed your wonder. We who didn't want him wanted us. We who needed him did not want him. He who did not need us wanted us. And then he changed our wonder so that we would want him. We would want him as Lord and Savior. That was a work of the Spirit of God by the power of the grace of God, the relentless love of God that came after us, that we Brought by the Spirit through the Word of God. Here's what I, in fact, I'll be saying this to some of the guys that come to Embers to a Flame. I'll be mentioning this to them. There's this kind of a heady moment. I think I've maybe mentioned this to you before, but bear with me if you would. 
there's a heady moment sometimes when you have a new members class and somebody comes up to you and says, Pastor, I want you to know it's been a great blessing to come to the church. And I've come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I thank the Lord. I'm so grateful the Lord brought me to salvation. And I'm grateful the Lord brought me here because I never heard the gospel till I came here and heard you preach. That is a heady moment for a pastor. But here's the way. Here's the way the Lord humbles pastors. This is what I share with pastors because I know it's true of me. I'm sitting there listening to someone that says to me, you know, I never knew. I never knew the gospel till I came to this church and heard your preaching. Really? Well, isn't that something? Then I remember I've got people that have sat under my ministry that are saying the same thing to some pastor somewhere else right now. And I know that because that was me. I grew up in a church that preached the gospel of saving grace in Jesus, but I didn't hear it till I was 21. Now, sometimes people are in churches that don't preach the gospel, but most of the time they're in churches that preach the gospel. They just don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, when did they get eyes to see and ears to hear? It's called the sovereign grace of a glorious God. And if he is giving you those vibes to hear him and see him by faith, come today. Come today who will give you to the one who will give you everlasting life. The Spirit of God did not come for you to talk about the Spirit of God. The Word of God did not come simply to talk about the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God have come to you that Jesus would be everything to you. He'd be your life. And that same Jesus came to you by the grace of God. So if you can't get to Jesus without the Word of God, and you can't get to Jesus and the Word of God doesn't profit without the work of the Spirit of God, and that's all because of the grace of God. What do you think Satan's doing today? Can I tell you something he's doing? I'll tell you one thing he's doing. He is trying to distract every single church and every single Christian. He is trying to get you and me to neglect the word of God. He's trying to get us to neglect it on Sunday. When we get up in the morning, the iPhone, that's much more important than your Bible. He's just trying to convince you of that. He's absolutely trying to convince you that some sports event is much more important than the preaching and singing and hearing of God's word on the Lord's day. He is doing his best because he knows you can't know the son of God without the word of God. So he wants to keep you away from the word of God. Either to be indifferent to it, to neglect it. Or here's another one. Substitute experience for the word of God. Now, folks, please listen to me. I am the older I get. I am getting to be an emotional uh, dish rag. So I love experiences. Last Sunday night, I was just so overwhelmed. I get so overwhelmed in worship with experience. But listen, you do not build your Christian life seeking experiences of God. You build your Christian life with the word of God that gives you understanding of the experiences God gives you. Your Christian life doesn't come from experiences. It comes by the spirit of God through the word of God so that you know the experiences and what God is doing. What's of God, what's not of God. You can only know it by the word of God. 
So you've got the word of God and the spirit of God. Don't neglect it. Don't become indifferent to it. Don't substitute experience for it. Love experiences, but have experience that are informed, inspired and interpreted from the word of God. And don't let Satan make you silent or ashamed of the word of God. But speak it. And when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you and the Word of God, then the Word of God becomes dear to you. I know it's in my life. My granddaddy, I'll never forget, he would take me to the Christian businessmen's and he said, you got to memorize John 1. I said, okay, but I wasn't excited about it. And then when my Aunt Minnie died, he gave me her Bible. I wished I was excited about it. I am now. I got it right there in my office. I'll show it to you. But I wasn't excited about it then. And then I remember... When I got saved, other than my daddy and mama, the first person I wanted to tell was my granddaddy. I got in the car and Cindy went with me. We drove all the way down to Augusta, Georgia. And when I got there, he bought me a Bible, handed it to me. And I couldn't wait to devour it. I mean, I was the guy who made sure I didn't have church clothes ready whenever I went somewhere. Because I didn't want to hear God's word. And then all of a sudden I can't get enough of it. And all of a sudden I want to be around those who I used to run from. Who love the word of God. All of that began to change in my life. Brothers and sisters, the fact of the matter is. Just please listen to this and I'll close with this. Intentionality and regularity is the key to veracity and tenacity. Intentionality and regularity in the word and prayer is the key to veracity and tenacity for the Son of God. We're all looking for the exotic. What we need is intentionality and regularity in the word of God. The rhythms of life. I love them. My family's got rhythms in life. It's what makes us family. I've got friends that I have regular, routine habits of the heart in relationship. It's what binds us together. Oh, I love the exotic moment of a unique experience. But what really puts the foundation is regularity and intentionality. It brings veracity and it brings tenacity. I love, I love January of every year when we introduce a ministry theme at Briarwood and start digging into it from God's Word. I love it when Missions Festival is on its way and we start praying about faith promise every year. I love it. I love that first Sunday when the flags come in and we sing, Jesus shall reign where air of the sun. I don't need a new one. I don't need something exotic. I don't need it novel. In fact, I anticipate it. I want the nail set with regularity. I'm all fine for the unique periodically. But give me that intentionality and that regularity. That's what makes family and binds fellowship. I love it when the 
you bring those faith promise cards of prayer and financial sense of commitment, lay it at the feet of the sent ones. Then the flags go out and we go out, lift high the cross of Christ with text and hymns and songs. Tenacity and veracity is built with intentionality and regularity. I love it around Christianity in America where we remember God's providential gifts and those who gave so much for us that we are able to enjoy in the context of God's providence in this nation. I love it when the Birmingham Conference on Theology and Life sets the nail further on our ministry themes for the year. I love every member commitment season as we work through stewardship together as a congregation. How can we get finances to do the work of the gospel here and around the world? As well as the unique spiritual gifts of God's people employed. In fact, I love every Lord's Day three times. Come, let us worship the Lord our God. I love to hear his hymns and his songs sung, his creeds and his confessions, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. I love all of those moments as God keeps setting the nail and binding his family together, uniting us together with intentionality and regularity in the Lord and for the Lord. I desperately love those moments. I don't have to wait for the Lord's Day every morning. I can meet Him intentionally and regularly. And every evening or bedtime or whenever a family can come together, surrender to the Spirit of God and read the Word of God. It is those things, not the exotic, not a circus leader pastor performing in a worship service, it is God's Word saturating us, marinating us as we surrender to the Spirit of God and unite in the beaten old paths of the Word of God. Let's pray. Because of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, those who came to that nativity did not have to wonder they knew who they were coming to see, Emmanuel. They knew what he had come to do to save them from their sins. You, Mary, Joseph, we can know by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God that's true. Just spend a few moments and think of those two unseen but conspicuous attendees to the birth of Jesus. The Spirit of God and the Word of God to the glory of God by the grace of God. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at 
briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.